0: I think at the end we're all looking to understand who we are through films. What I've always wanted to do is uh, take pictures. I believe that in this world, everybody is uh, born equally.
1: Because This is how you change your little piece of the world, by doing what you love. A script or, uh, or an idea, I have to like brew it like the perfect cup of tea. As recent university graduates with a lack of job prospects and a lot of free time on their hands, especially now, Pauline and I attempt to be quizzical, intelligent and active women on the hunt for juicy nuggets of advice, news and insight. So, RLC Sounds presents to you Creating Waves. Today we have actually quite a special podcast for you.
2: It's going to be quite special because it's exactly related to the work that we're doing. Um, So, Muhyiddin and Robert, Welcome to the boat
0: thank you thank you
2: mm-hmm. so uh, maybe you could just start by introducing yourselves and just quickly saying yeah what, what you're up to and your positions and yeah just to get to know you a little bit
3: <laughs> all right i'm i'm robert um i am uh from the u.s um and uh i uh, lead a charity in uh, central asia in uzbekistan called the world aerial region charity it's been four years that we've uh, existed and have been doing projects uh, in Uzbekistan. And in fact, now our um, organization is uh, working to broaden our uh, outreach, not only to Uzbekistan, but to other countries across Eurasia, including Tajikistan, where Mokhidim um, is from, and we're currently working on a project with him, um, as well as um, a uh, as well as in Russia, and we're looking at a few other projects in Eurasia. And um, uh, I'm just very excited to be here because, as I keep mentioning to Faye and Pauline, they're also named after the RLC. They're the RLC Productions, and I think that's the coolest thing ever, that we share the same name.
2: (laughs) It is cool.
0: (laughs) Thank you very much. Um, As uh, Robert already introduced and uh, said, uh, very nice words about me. I am uh, Muhidin uh, from Tajikistan and uh, currently I work as a freelance interpreter and uh, in the past I used to work uh, for uh, different international organizations uh, operating in Tajikistan like uh, the International Finance Corporation and uh, the British Embassy in Dushanbe and uh, some other um, local NGOs and uh, apart uh, my uh, main job uh, as a freelance interpreter I also uh, cooperate with some uh, local NGOs and I uh, run uh, some uh, charity and also uh, development uh, projects, mostly focusing on uh, health and uh, social sectors, which are, uh, I can say, uh, underdeveloped in Tajikistan particularly, particularly in uh, remote areas. and. Uh, uh, I'm very pleased uh, to meet Robert, actually, uh, uh, in life in general, uh, but also in uh, our cooperation uh, for the charity projects we are running here for the development of rural communities in Tajikistan.
1: Amazing. Thank you for being with us today.
0: Thank you very much for inviting me.
1: Yeah, thank you. I think so now we're just going to get into the questions. What is the name of your boat? This can be something significant to you, uh, something funny. It's just to give um, our audience an insight into your personality.
3: All right. Um, Do you want to be spontaneous or should I think I take it away?
0: I believe that uh, it is better to give uh, the word first to uh, experts and professionals. And then I would follow you.
3: Oh, I think you're much more the expert than I am. Um, and apologies if we have some background noise. Unfortunately, I'm uh, currently in, uh, working in Georgia with the UN, and I, uh, due to coronavirus, I live with my boss. And uh, he uh, always has these also virtual UN meetings, and he's very loud. So <laughs> I apologize, but we'll uh, get a little, uh, I guess, a sneak peek into another development project. No worries. <laughs> over So I had time to think. I'm like Mukhidin. I think the name of my vote is radical altruism. Altruism. What does Mm -hmm. that mean? You know, well, okay. Mm, For me, it's just that again on the theme of charity work. You know, sometimes I ask myself, you know, why do I do this? And sometimes, I mean, you, I, I I think you can't trigger code it. And you know, recently Mukhidin and I were having a conversation about, um, you know, we're not going to name names, but an unpleasant. Uh, maybe interaction that uh, he had with a, um, with a recipient, right, with a beneficiary of our work in Tajikistan. And, um, you know, I, I didn't discuss this with Mukherjee yet, but it does re- remind me of a lot of the interactions I've had, you know, in Uzbekistan, which, don't get me wrong, there's many, many, much more positive interactions you have. But sometimes you do get the impression that, hey, is the work I'm doing uh, worth it? Um, Why am I, like, if other people are taking, you know, um, getting some profit out of this, why am, you know, why am I doing this and putting in so much work, uh, you know, when I could be doing something better or I could be also, uh, you know, uh, getting some profit or, you know, maybe why am I putting so much effort into this if I don't feel that, you know, sometimes people will respond rudely, but. Uh, or, or just, you know, not really responding rudely, but maybe, uh, you know, you just sometimes you do question yourself. Is this what I should be putting my time into? Um, and I think my answer that I give to myself and uh, is that you have to be radically altruistic. You have to, um, if you're going into development work, you have to be ready to say, I'm doing this totally not for myself. I mean, I, yes, I can do this it certainly is enjoyable and you should do things that are fun for you. And, uh, and I certainly enjoy the, the work I do, but you also have to realize that sometimes there's going to be tough moments. Sometimes someone might be rude to you. Sometimes, you know, the donor might not want to, uh, uh, uh or might, might not want to provide you c- funding, or you might have to write a really long grant and then you won't win it. But you have to tell yourself that it's all worth it because you have to, you know, radically care about helping someone else just just for the sake of it, just for the sake of bringing more good stuff into the world, I guess, bringing more positivity. So I guess that's the philosophy of radical altruism. And I think it kind of is a life philosophy that I'm certainly still kind of, you know, have my moments of being very uh, self-centered as we all are. But I think that's something that I always aim for in my life travels, right? To to train myself to really just think about others.
1: Thank you for that, Robert. Uh, That's so interesting. I I really like, we haven't had an answer quite like that before um, for the name of the boat. I think it's really refreshing.
0: Uh, Yes, I will uh, do my best to answer uh, this question. Well, uh, to be honest, um, I didn't uh, name my uh, boat with any exact title yet. But uh, today, uh, while walking uh, to the market for shopping, I also was thinking maybe I should uh, name it education uh, for development. Uh, Because I uh, mostly care about the um, equal opportunities for uh, the vulnerable uh, groups of population uh, vs uh, privileged ones. Uh, I believe uh, that in this world uh, everybody is uh, born equally and everybody should have and uh, should enjoy uh, the rights, fundamental rights equally, particularly the right to education and uh, health, which are critically important issues. And uh, why I'm thinking about this, because uh, I come from rural area myself and Uh, In most of uh, cases, I uh, see through both private discussions and uh, public gatherings that uh, there are a lot of uh, young uh, talents in uh, rural areas who actually cannot pursue their education in higher education institutions for uh, several objective and uh, subjective reasons. Uh, One of these reasons is the poverty, most of the parents, uh, though they wish their children have higher education, cannot afford themselves to cover the education cost and therefore they cannot allow their children to pursue education. And the other reason is the um, still um, old stereotypes and uh, mentality of people in traditional communities. Particularly this uh, is uh, related to girls' education in rural areas. Therefore, I'm thinking about working uh, further in order to provide more opportunities for young talents uh, in rural areas to get their education and uh, to make their contribution for their society.
2: Wow, that was an amazing answer considering we only just gave you the uh, question now. (laughs) Thank you Mehideen, amazing. And Thank, you. Yeah. Thank you. So you're on this boat now, we're all on this boat together. So where is it sailing from?
0: Mostly uh, I'm uh, trying to rely on uh, charity and uh, of course now Covid has aggravated the situation not only in Tajikistan but around the world. and. Uh, mostly people have uh, also changed uh, their mind about uh, their future plans and desires. But I do hope that once the situation uh, gets uh, back to normal life we used to enjoy before the COVID pandemic, I uh, would like to try to launch a charity fund in order to mobilize uh, funding, particularly to support the education of those young talents from rural areas. This is one of the ideas I have.
3: Can we say we're sailing from, I mean, are we sailing from COVID-19, like is (laughs) we're leaving COVID-19 and we're going forward into a bright new future?
0: I I am, um, you know, um, Muslim and uh, most uh, of the, um, let's say, philosophy of the Islam is uh, to uh, remain hopeful and I believe that it is also the same with other religions and Mm -hmm. I still uh, remain hopeful and optimistic that uh, the God uh, will also save all of us and uh, we will be able to continue our um, life as we did in the past.
3: Mm, to specify and to give some context, can I specify this place we're sailing from, which I think is in line with what we're talking about?
0: Right?
2: Yes, of course, go on.
3: Uh, yeah, Central Asia. Uh, a few people know about it in general, which I think needs some context. And I think, I mean, I guess what we're where we're sailing from is um, the current, you know, Central Asia today, and, uh, well, we, don't, we can't decide yet where we're sailing to, but perhaps we're sailing to uh, our future ideals for the region. Um, so the irony, of course, is Central Asia is probably the most land-bound place in the world. So there's not much to sail uh, in Central Asia. For, um, uh, for example, Uzbekistan, uh, it's the only doubly landlocked country in the entire world, which means none of the countries it borders borders an open sea. Um, Uzbekistan, of course, had a sea, which was the fourth, well, it's really a lake, the Aral Sea, um, again, uh, the, the namesake of our organizations, um, and that, it wasn't a sea, but it was a lake. It's like the Red Sea, right? Or uh, well, not the Red Sea, the Dead Sea in Israel, right? The Dead Sea isn't a sea, but uh, it's still a very big lake. Now, the Aral Sea was the fourth largest lake in the world. Um, and due to poor environmental policies under the Soviet Union and uh, continuing uh, to this day, um, it totally dried out. Um, and um, and that has had very large uh, ecological uh, drawbacks for people. Um, in some areas, near the Aral Sea, 87% of uh, teenagers have um, anemia because of a deficiency in in, uh, nutrients, and uh, salty water. There's very little drinking water. It's very salty. High rates of of larynx uh, cancer, uh, thyroidal cancer, um, high rates of uh, tuberculosis. Um, Pregnant women face a lot of anemia. And same thing as Muhyiddin was saying, the area around the Aral Sea, as Tajikistan, which is on the other side of Central Asia, both of these uh, well, uh, areas, they have a lot of rural populations. And exactly what Mukhidin was talking about, education. The kids that we work with there, we do a lot of environmental education projects there. Few of them are ever going to go to college, especially the girls. Um, few of them ever leave their village. Um, you know, they. Uh, I would say because of the Soviet heritage of education, there's a pretty good education system compared to many other countries in the world, in both Tajikistan and Uzbekistan. But still, these kids lack a lot of opportunities. And, uh, you know, so I, we actually, our charity in Uzbekistan at least, we have done a lot of work tackling those questions that he was bringing up, is how can you uh, provide rural children who haven't even had the opportunity or haven't been given the educational methodology and tools to, um, to have a voice and to share their own ideas, how can you teach them to take initiative? How can you encourage them to feel that they have the power to bring up uh, ideas for ways to better their community. So what we do is in the context of this environmental disaster, we uh, lead educational programs in parallel to, you know, more con- concrete like ecological projects that we do, uh, like installing filters. We also talk with these kids and lead programs where we encourage them to develop their own ideas and to discuss in teams uh, what solutions they want to, they want to make locally for their communities and discuss them how can they implement it despite the lack of funding, despite the fact that they're in a rural community and many of them won't have a chance for a higher education. Um, well, and perhaps hopefully they will. Um, so it's about, I think, uh, yeah, um, that's another issue. So I just brought up an ecological issue, a um, issue of maybe providing opportunities for young people. And then now we have another um, you know, problem, so to speak, in Central Asia Uh, which we can sail from, uh, which is exactly COVID-19. And I think what's interesting, just to finish this off about Central Asia as the place where to sail from, even though there's no water to really sail from in the region, not much of it, though Tajikistan does have some very nice lakes is is just the thing that this region has a lot of potential it has a lot of talented smart people like muhibe, for example, and it's just a question that not a lot of people know about it, not a lot of people around the world have heard about it um, and have cared to visit it or invest in it and I think uh, for you know for a question for us as we embark on this boat is you know, how can we get people interested? How can we get other people, you know, to participate in educational development and uh, radical altruism, you know, uh, in this region, um, you know, to join us on this boat, uh, if we're going to pursue that metaphor.
1: Thank you. I think you really laid out your views so well there. And we wanted to know then, where are you sailing to? This is where you see yourself going.
0: I believe that uh, now uh, the COVID actually has become another uh, milestone for everybody. Again, uh, not only for the um, poor and uh, disadvantaged countries like Tajikistan, but for everybody in the different parts and continents of the world uh, for uh, solidarity and uh, for understanding how uh, vulnerable we are before uh, some very simple challenges. Um, maybe I am uh, saying too much, but uh, this once again uh, made people think uh, that uh, now the humanity is able to fly to moon, to uh, the space and uh, to create, uh, for example, nuclear uh, weapon and uh, any, uh, many other things but as you see there are some simple challenges which uh, brings humanity back to the earth and uh, think uh, what we are doing actually with this earth and with this planet we are living in which is feeding the entire humanity so i believe that uh, this point will make it possible for many people particularly decision makers to change their mind about the work they are doing for the benefit of humanity and think about many things like Robert outlined about the environment uh, which is critically important and also uh, for many other issues Um, And I believe uh, that uh, we are really, um, you are absolutely right. We are really sailing our boat uh, from uh, this uh, COVID in a new sinking. And uh, I hope uh, that uh, we will be able uh, to run our boat to the target about which everybody of us uh, have a dream.
2: So we're on this boat and you can see sharks in the water. What do these sharks represent? What are the kind of issues that you're facing right now in the region? I mean, you've already spoken um, about COVID and the rise in numbers um, and kind of how that's affected you. But are there any other sharks lurking around that are threatening your
1: work?
0: Uh, Well, uh, people in our uh, societies uh, were less ready compared to other countries and uh, communities because of the lack of uh, information about the uh, danger uh, this uh, disease has been causing, this is for COVID. And uh, some other uh, corresponding uh, effects of COVID is that it has uh, brought to, uh, let's say, lockdown of the country boundary-wise. Now, particularly, for example, in Tajikistan, all of the borders are uh, closed. And uh, this also has caused logistic uh, issues, for example. And uh, most of the people um, are uh, prone to migration now. Particularly, we had, let's say, several thousands of uh, migrants from Tajikistan working in Russia. And first uh, issue our migrants have is that uh, they are also stuck in uh, Russia and other countries where uh, they uh, have been working and living and uh, they cannot, uh, for example, visit their families and uh, relatives. On the other hand, the most important issue which also has affected both migrants and their families seriously is that Uh, due to the uh, Lockdown in the countries uh, of their operation. They have not been able to work and accordingly they cannot earn money and send money to their families and the families are also Striving here particularly those uh, vulnerable families which have uh, some COVID patients now definitely they need financial resources to uh, Buy medicines and to buy some food and else. And these are some of the difficulties we have been facing uh, due to the COVID. And on the other hand, uh, lack of uh, r- infrastructure is also making it uh, difficult. And uh, Awareness of the people, as I already outlined, is another issue. Most of the people are not still ready to follow the recommendations provided by international organizations like WHO. And uh, most of the people are not aware about the danger of this disease and also about the social distancing, for example which can further aggravate the situation on which we have to work seriously.
3: Yeah, definitely also about, um, it should be noted that now Russia has the second largest amount of infected people in terms of COVID. So um, yeah, it's a pretty tragic situation. And they're the most, as you know, as in the US, right? It's, the, it's service workers, it's uh, you know uh, immigrants who are, you know the most at risk right now of getting infected, and I was just looking at some um, news broadcasts about Central Asian migrant workers, uh, which there are a lot of them right now in Moscow and Saint Petersburg, which again are the epicenters of, the, of now the second largest uh, of the outbreak of the second largest uh, affected, you know, second most affected country in the world in terms of COVID. And these people are working right now, or if they're not working, you know, they're they have limited living space. Um, and both of those options aren't really that good. And as mukhi said, the problems of sending money. Um, and, then, and also with those workers getting affected. But I think, uh, just to add, I think mukhi brought up an interesting uh, point with borders. Uh, even like more generally, like first of all, I was planning to go to Central Asia soon. Uh, and clearly, <laughs> I don't know if that's going to happen soon. Um, so borders are a problem. But yeah, in general, I mean... Um, Central Asia has a history, um, for example, a country like Uzbekistan uh, has had a history of being uh, close to uh, foreigners, being close to, uh, you know, Americans, for example, Um, or, or, you know, there's some troubles you used to have getting a visa. Don't even try getting a visa today to Turkmenistan, for example, Um, and I think and, uh, you know, they say actually that Central Asia is one of the least integrated regions in the world in terms of borders being closed between the five countries that make up this region, and borders being closed to the world around it, right? So, it is a major problem. It's it's a major problem of how to send money there, like we're trying to figure that out with the right now. You know, uh, how, to, uh, how to bring volunteers from uh, New York City to the Aral Sea region, right? Uh, we always have to deal with that. Uh, how to, there's lots of you know, more uh, metaphorical borders of how to get all these documents and contracts and legal regulations that you have to get past as a foreign organization to work. Um, And There's a lot of suspicion that I've come across, but, um, you know, in terms of fighting those sharks of borders and, uh, you know, both mental borders and physical borders, it just takes persistence. Again, that's what I, I'd say radical altruism is about. It's about uh, when people, when you know, people or legal circumstances or something like that prevents you from uh, being able to reach the place you need to reach or send the aid you need to send internationally. Uh, it's about being persistent, and you keep doing it. You keep trying to find different routes to help people out, uh, even from you know. Five thousand kilometers away, uh, and eventually, you'll, you'll overcome those sharks of borders. I, I should mention, actually, so Tajikistan right now, their their crisis is just adjusting to a very large um, rising amount of uh, infections. I mean, there's articles that are saying it might be the largest in the former Soviet Union rate in a rise in infections, and they might, you know, surpass other countries per capita. Uzbekistan had a different problem. They were more or less trying to, the government was really pushing you know, a picture that everything's fine, but they had a dam uh, that broke open last week, two weeks ago. It flooded an entire region, in Kazakhstan as well, and about like 100,000 people were displaced from their homes. And keep in mind, this is all happening during Whoa. the pandemic.
1: That's um, so, insane. Yeah, that's yeah. horrible.
3: And that's a water problem there for you. So it, it's all, everything intersects. Um, but the point is, uh, so yeah, Mukidin and I are, you know, working for Tajikistan's project, but yeah, there's a lot of like, these weeks are very critical for Central Asia in terms of COVID.
1: I think we, we were gonna move on to one of our, I think we've actually covered majority of our questions. You answered them so well. I think we were gonna have like a, a kind of lighthearted ending um, we were going to ask you about the Central Asian food in your countries, and just to get a bit of an idea of the culture and yeah, like your favourite
2: dishes and
0: and oh
2: okay, I know that the, <laughs> there's that sweet from Kyrgyzstan which um, my boyfriend and I had when we were there, and I can't remember what it's called because I've been trying to order them online. It's like um, it's that milk. It's like those balls, and they also make drinks out of it. I don't know. Is,
3: no. is that the? I mean, I tried, Is that the famous horse milk beer?
2: Yes, that's it.
3: <laughs> do you know what it's called? I'm curious. I mean, kumis. Kumis. Kumis.
2: kumis. Okay. Kumis. kumis. Yes.
1: Well, what yeah,
0: does
2: it yeah.
1: taste like? A really bitter.
2: Really? Yeah. It's nothing. It's like nothing I've ever had before.
0: What Dean,
1: what's
3: your favorite it? food? <laughs> for for Tajik food. Are you asking me? Yeah. Yeah.
0: My favorite Tajik food it is uh, steamed uh, dumpling mantu.
2: Yeah. Of course,
0: uh, everybody in our countries uh, like pilau, because it is uh, considered to be the main uh, dish for hospitality. And uh, perhaps Robert uh, knows uh, that even there is a legend that. Until uh, you don't, uh, until you host uh, your guest with pilau, they don't leave your
3: house.
1: <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Did you host
3: me with pilau, Mukhidin. I lived with Mukhidin yeah. when I was in Tajikistan. Did you host me with pilau? Because that means
0: Robert. We, do you remember? I hosted you with pilau several times, so that okay, know. good. That means, that means <laughs> I've, I've lived in your
3: house. I'm just making sure because I just want to make sure i lived in your house. Mukhidin treated me very well. Working, you know, on this on these projects for the RLC. What I found is it's it's a symbol. It's not just about, for Uzbeks at least, but I think for all of Central Asia. I mean, it's an integrated region for Tajikistan as well. uh, Water, you know, their their water issues are the ROC's issues. Um, But uh, it's a symbol of both, you know, this example of in a world now with COVID, with ecological crises all around the world, of what are the consequences of concretely human uh, irresponsible actions towards the environment right and not only the environment but just generally towards our planet right to its society like you know if you mess with the planet it messes with you basically that's you know the, the problem with the rlc that it affected a lot of people but what i found is it also is a, a lot about hope i mean you know you talk to all these people and you know i would talk i i worked a lot with artists in uzbekistan for example and all these artists they see for example the rlc as a cultural yeah. symbol they see it as you know they they call it the eye of um of Uzbekistan or let's say the eye of Central Asia it's this um uh it's it's like the window into what's going on in the country and if it's doing well then the country will do well and if if they can you know it's this challenge like if we can rally around if we can rally the nation the region the world to you know restore this sea that we literally dried out then how much more can we do for our country you know as as people how much more can we do for our planet
2: in a similar way the owl sea is also a symbol i think i I went traveling around central asia in last summer it was like we didn't we didn't know about the owl sea beforehand we didn't go to the travel to the owl sea itself but we you know were around the area and I don't know, We it was an incredible trip and I think it was, we'd had no idea kind of what to expect and it's a region we hadn't heard a lot about. And when I wanted to set up this this production company which kind of focuses on arts and documentaries about around social issues, I thought that Owlsea was a great symbol for that. The company also aims to be sustainable and ethical and yeah, for me the RLC was definitely
1: a a symbol of being of doing that um yeah yeah um, (laughs) I um I came across the RLC through a documentary um and then when this came in to being the RLC productions I thought it just tied in so nicely because of documentaries where I found out this information about the environmental damages going on there um and then to link it up with a production comedy called the RLC, I thought it was just really important. I also, the story really struck a nerve with me about um, the scale of like human impact and how people had known about the devastation and destruction in the RLC since at least the eighties. And little had been done to really sort of, like a mainstream Western level to raise attention about that. So I thought it was important to, to yeah, reach out to some people who would be really knowledgeable about that. And that is you guys. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so yeah, that's me.
3: There's there's a lot of power of the arts and filmmaking, documentary, pottery. I mean, in general, just you know, different forms of artistic communication to spread meaningful social issues. We've done some of that, and I think you know it's really cool what you guys are doing.
1: Thank you.
3: Well, thank you very much. Thank you. No
1: thank you worries. So thank much. you for for coming on. Yes, yeah, it's and been um, a pleasure. yeah, I'm sure we'll do another one of these soon, for sure. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank, thank you very much. Well, contact. Have a good day. Now, many of you may not know about the situation. Since the 1980s, the Aral once the world's fourth largest lake, has been decreasing in size because of human activities, mainly because of the mass industrial scale of growing cotton for fast fashion companies. Today, 90% of the lake has disappeared. This has had drastic and devastating effects on those who live there, including high rates of disease like tuberculosis, a lack of protection from elements and mass unemployment.
2: In light of this, we are proud to announce our partnership with two charities from the Owl Sea Region in Uzbekistan. The World Owl Region Charity works to relieve the horrifying effects of the Owl Sea Crisis on Uzbek towns. Through partnerships with local initiatives and with a range of cultural and educational projects, they aim to provide and promote global support.
1: The other charity is the Accelerator Lab of the UNDP in Uzbekistan, who seeks to cover the dried-up seabed with Saxal. A native drought-resistant tree as part of their project, The Green Initiative. This organisation is part of the generation who witnessed the disappearance of the RLC in real time. They wish to be the generation who changes the course of history and creates the RLC forest. We really believe in their cause and hope to
2: provide a platform for their work.